Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. And I almost went with the joke that's not a very funny joke of uh, Alchemy Deckless Podcast, but I didn't want to alarm anyone, at least not that early, you know? Uh, I already did that for the name of our podcast last week. I don't know if you caught that. I know, but I didn't I didn't want to open with it and then have people like Think you know not hear it. the familiar business and yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean we we've shown the capacity for wild outlandish out of nowhere changes. So I could understand fear if we were to again speak about another uh name change. That one came with like a precursor announcement though. Yeah, we didn't announce we were changing the name of the cast, though, right? We just said we were, like, doing something. Yeah. And then everyone got real mad at us. We were kind of like wizards for a week. It was cool. (laughs) We just just didn't like anything we were doing. Oh, man, that sucked. Maybe I shouldn't shouldn't do that. Makes you think a little bit. A little bit. Not not much, though. I mean, it's it's basically gone at this point. I just, I'm not even going to think about it. Anyway, uh, Alchemy came out today. Here it is. Has arrived. The day that we're recording uh, came with a few hiccups. Brian has already encountered some bugs. It, <laughs> I don't, it's so funny to me that I very rarely encounter these arena bugs, but for whatever reason, it's just always the cards Brian wants to play with. Yeah, I'm playing the dumbest cards possible, and they're like, no, nope, we don't have to test this. Nobody cares about it. Well, I care. I care about these stupid cards. I actually think this card is very good that I got, I got hit with a bug uh today settle the wilds and we'll talk more about that as we go through the podcast but uh yeah you know it, whatever it's a pretty small hiccup basically like you you seek a land with this card you put it onto the battlefield and then a phantom copy shows up in your hand and it seems like it's there and you should just be able to play it like i'm like where did this come from this doesn't make a lot of sense but then like i move on a few turns and i'm like oh yeah i have a land in my hand and I just don't. My Omnath sits on the battlefield like a clown doing nothing. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a little tilting to have my first few games of alchemy influenced by this bug. But this has got to be an easy one to clean up. I'm sure we'll do it pretty I, quickly. I hope so. The, the things are weird, though. You know, all the cards are doing these weird things. They that, are weird cards for sure. Uh, so we did our show last week and talked about alchemy a little bit and. I didn't feel that bad about it because for the most part, it seemed like a thing that you didn't really have to engage with if you didn't want to. And to some extent, that's not true because the cards that they nerf in Alchemy also get nerfed in Historic. However, I think that the people who are complaining about that are going a little over the top because for the most part, the cards that are getting nerfed in standard are not necessarily ones that impact historic all that much. I don't know, man. Like you're mostly right with the exception of one deck, which if you are a person who bought into historic with the expectation you would play this deck, I understand being really upset. And here's the problem is that it seems plausible to me. The deck I'm speaking about, of course, is like, epiphany and just copying it you know galvanic iteration same thing we're doing in standard that exists Uh, in historic yeah but hold on like you probably bought that deck for standard right probably but still you then buy the surrounding historic cards with the expectation you now have your historic deck and then all of a sudden you don't and it's just like it's not it's not a big deal you're right it's not a big deal it's searching for something to be really angry about but why put people in that position where like you have to screw them over 
Regardless, I think that they should give wild cards for things that get nerfed in historic. Correct. I, I don't agree. understand why they're not doing that. But for people to be like, I hate alchemy because they nerf Goldspan Dragon or what? It's like, what? Yeah. No, that that doesn't track with me. And for Epiphany, it's like, well, a, a lot of that you probably got for standard. And then, I mean, yeah, the, the stuff that you got that was historic specific is like what the, the dual lands like those decks always just looked like standard decks to me. I can't think of like anything specific that would be just like a historic specific card. Yeah. Maybe in the sideboard, I would have to go look to be sure, but you're right. And if you want to hate alchemy, I think there's plenty of other reasons to hate alchemy. There's a lot of good arguments around like complexity creep, uh, just being overwhelmed with formats, too many things to keep track of. Th those things do matter. I, like, I understand the argument that options are good, but uh, decision paralysis is a real thing. There's some number of options uh, where there's a sweet spot where you don't have too many and you don't have too few. If you feel like this pushes you over the too many thing, I think that's a fine argument. And I think what's really funny is if you go back, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, the Wizards of the Coast probably would have made the exact same argument when they did things like, I don't know, remove block from being part of the thing. Like, surely block is just an option you can consider playing if you want. And it was mostly played on Magic Online. And they were just like, no, nah, this is too many options. We're going to get rid of this. They so they've, they've made these arguments before. They literally consolidated like half the cues on Magic Online at one point. Right. For this reason. Yes. And it, I, I distinctly remember it was like Lee Sharp tweet explaining that like, you know, there was just like, granted, it was, there were situations where it was like two people in every queue because they had like six different draft queues for one set or something. Yep. But it was like part of that is because there was decision paralysis, right? It's like, okay, what do I want to play 8-4 or 4-3-2-2? Do I want to play in like the competitive or the casual one, which I guess was like the you play all the rounds at a time? Or yeah. you play like around and, you know, your your league just sits open or whatever. And then there was like the, the really casual queue or whatever. At some point, they were just like, yeah, this is just not working for a variety of reasons. And I think right now, Arena has the player base to support all of that stuff and all of those queues. But why not go with things that people already want, which is like Pioneer on yes. Arena, for example? It's a good question, and you'll you'll have to forgive me. I'm going to retread something that I spoke about on my Twitter account, but I think it just applies really well to this. And it was a real moment of clarity for me. I was just thinking about like why I get so upset over stuff like this, where they really like expand far and and you know ask players to keep track of a lot of things and don't really consider the complexity of their play offerings anymore. And I just realized that all of these things I feel strongly about in terms of making the ecosystem more uniform and shared experience and working within the restrictions you've been given to create something great and using that to inspire creativity. I was taught all of these things by Wizards of the Coast, by their design principles. They they drilled these into me and I believed in them and in, ingrained them into my own philosophy, not only for like the limited amount of game design work that I have done, but also just in the way I engage with every single game I play. And I think about these things all the time because Wizards did such a good job adhering to them and drilling them into me and via articles on the mothership and podcasts and all these things you would hear 
very, very brilliant game designers talk about these important, important philosophies that they believed in. Yeah, man, I worked there. I'm right there with you. (laughs) And I've watched these same people walk them back one by one. And then I'm the one who's crazy because I'm upset by it. It's it's just so such a jarring experience. In theory, things can change. And we're now in like more of a digital what's happening. It's it's about money. That's why I started with in theory. Yeah. You know, Uh, you know, things you could justify like, you know, things are different. It's more of like a mobile and not. tabletop sort of thing where it's just like you know now 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 i need like that hit of dopamine now i'll play a game on my phone real quick while i do whatever and i don't know i i I don't think that it's necessarily accurate but i could see how they justify that um or use that to justify their decisions when ultimately all they're trying to do is make money right and yep. then it's like, well, if we need a way to justify doing this, like this is what we can point at and say whether or not they actually believe it. Who knows? Right. But they don't even bother doing that. Right. Like they no. Another reason you could say is like you've learned something. You had a previous understanding about how this should work, but you've explored it more. You've thought about it more. You've spent more time with it and you realize, no, we were wrong back then. And here's why. And you lay that out. And then I can at least go, OK, that makes sense to me. I understand what you're doing. And again, like another thing I've been thinking about is just communication. I've been playing a ton of TFT lately, Team Fight Tactics, because they put out a really great set. Their latest set is just an incredible piece of like balance and just totally changes the way you play the game. For a game I already really liked, I think they did a tremendous job with their latest set. And along the way, they are so, so communicative. The lead designer uh, goes by Mort Dog and just puts out after every single patch, like detailed thoughts, why we did this. Here's what we did in testing. Here's what we talked about. On top of just like doing all the work, he sits there and spends hours explaining all the work. And yeah, I love trying, that. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Not only that, like they, there was just an article that came out a couple of days ago where it was like, they invited a reporter to sit in on their balance process. And then the reporter reported, these are the discussions they're having. Here's what they're trying to do all the time. And it was just like such a refreshing breath of fresh air compared to the basic silence we've gotten on all these decisions or, you know, boilerplate justifications. Yeah. I mean, I guess I can argue in favor of that where it's like, it, it seemed like basically no matter what wizard said, they would just get clowned. Uh, so I, I get them taking a step back, but I think rather than doing it, you know, completely hands off, it's like maybe think about your process and how you could deliver that information in a better way. Or- here's, here's what I would argue. They were getting clowned by clowns, like people who just wanted to do that. And that, that's what they were getting off on. Yes now. and no. Yes and no, because some of it was us too. Think about anytime there's like a BNR announcement and we go over it and Maybe it's more me than you, but it's like I just look at a sentence. And I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense for like X, Y, Z, you know, that that's influenced by a lot at this point, though. Like that's that's bringing a lot of baggage to the table. If, that, if I that's go definitely back true. to things, that's definitely true. let's go back to like a moment in time with magic where it was like taking damage off the stack. And there was a very vocal group of people who were like, this is garbage. You've ruined the game, blah, blah, blah. I know 
from my perspective, I didn't even blink. Like it wasn't even something that I was like, oh, this is foolish. This is going to ruin everything. I was just like, oh, this is weird. But like, I get it. And I see where we're going. Let's try it out. And it was fine. And I can't imagine damage going back on the stack now. It seems ridiculous that, that it ever worked that way. Um, but still, there was a very loud, very vocal outcry. And I think that the outcries have just pushed to a broader base. And it's not just people who want to be angry. It's people with really good faith arguments about why these things are potentially damaging long term, maybe not done in the best way possible. And it just because there's so much of it, it sounds good. I don't even know how to say the word cacophonious. Is that correct? I mean, yeah, it's close enough. If close enough. Else. Okay. It's really loud and you hear a lot of noise and it becomes hard to separate reality from fiction. But still, I I don't know what to say, man. Like you have to have some form of communication if you're going to get a very focused, very supportive fan base to be your biggest cheerleader, which I want to be for Wizards all the time. I really do. I, I don't want anything more than to say, this is great. I love this. Let's do more of it. But it's yeah, hard. we, we kind of were not that long ago, like 2017 or whatever. I right? think so. Yeah. I mean, I think I've, pl- I've been on both sides and it's not because I'm playing both sides. It's because I've felt both ways. Yeah. Same. There, there was definitely a time where I was like, wow, things are like trending up. This is awesome. I'm really enjoying like my life and my job. And now I'm just kind of like, uh, should, should I be looking for something else? You know, yes, good question. And I don't know if I if I found something else that I thought was like a fraction of how good it was in 2018 or whatever, like I I probably would try and pursue that, you know, in addition to this, because I still like doing some amount of magic stuff, but I, I wouldn't want to tie up like 100% of my life into it. At this point. Sure. No, I feel you 100%. But yeah, I mean, I, I've, yeah, I've, I've definitely been part of the problem, I feel like, as far as the reason why they are not trying to be as communicative as they have been in the past. But I also don't think I was just like, everything you do is bad. I think that I had like actual coherent arguments, uh, which certainly not everyone on the internet does. No, they don't. And you can't, you can't fight against that. Like you're always going to be exposed to that. And look, you're exposed to it even with like a non-communicative stance where you're not putting out all the information. So why not get more, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm patting myself on the back too much. Why not get more learned people, people who understand what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to do to be able to give you the support that maybe will influence some of those uh, more easily riled up folks out there on the internet. Yeah, that'd be great. If only, if only we knew of some people who could be that. Someday. Someday. Uh, anyway, as far, as far as like alchemy is concerned, I'm like kind of lukewarm on the whole thing. My my take has mostly been like, you can sort of opt out of it. I think the historic stuff is like some of the arguments being made are kind of silly, but for someone who crafted like humans and you think the Luminarch Aspirant nerf is a huge nerf to your deck and you're not getting wild cards as, as a result of that, that definitely sucks. They should fix that for sure. Um, and then there's the whole like, well, what if this is like a PTQ season or whatever? It's like yep. pro, pro magic's not a thing. Take take a season off. Like, or take all of them off. Yeah, whatever. Uh, you, you don't have to do it. There's no reason to do it. If it doesn't make you happy, I wouldn't do it right now. And, you know, maybe you think that like it should not be a qualifier season. Well, I mean, I kind of agree with you too. But, you know, over the last few years, Wizards is going to do stuff like this. And especially 
now it seems like a lot of the stuff is going to, you know, not really benefit enfranchised, competitive, aspiring Magic players, right? Like, you just have to expect that stuff. And maybe that's why I'm just kind of like numb to this whole thing where I'm just like, I don't care. This is like not as big of a deal as the last like 20 things that they've done that have hurt competitive magic, right? So yep. Yep. whatever. Mostly where I ended up on this is just like, I, I have a lot of gripes with it, but what I would rather do is focus on building some new magic decks, which I love doing. I've had a good time already putting together new decks. I'm going to put out an article on Star City this week with a, a bunch of them. I'll, sure, I'll be sure to drop some in our Discord for folks. So I think there's interesting ideas here. There's interesting cards here. And, you know, it, it's not super deep, but it's only 63 cards that we're working with. And I, I think among those 63, there's some that are really worth exploring. I, I was actually surprised at how many different avenues I could go down. Cause like my, my article had, I think four deck lists. And then I, I built a bunch of other ones or started to that didn't make the, the final article, but there was a lot of different rabbit holes you could go down in. And a lot of that was a result of like the nerfs in addition to yes. what came from this set. Right. So yes. it isn't just 63 cards, but also these 63 cards, you, you do like a first pass, you look at them, Especially you look at some of the like drafting spell books and you're just like, all these cards suck. And like vanilla three mana, four threes that may or may not actually have text on them. Who knows? Uh, and you're just like, are, are all these cards bad? But nah, actually, like some of them are pretty nice and pretty impactful and give support to archetypes that kind of needed it. So you you say nerfs influencing that and, and opening up a lot of play space. How much of it is just actually epiphany and how much of it is just broader nerfs giving you back play space? Uh, I think epiphany is definitely the the biggest one because it just opens you up to mid range as a thing. But then also chariot and to a lesser extent, gold span dragon also being nerfed means that you have more reasons to explore other cards and other uh, strategies rather than just being like, oh, well, I kind of have to start with chariot and go from there. No, very, very fair. Uh, you happen to catch the win rates of the Is It Epiphany deck when it was played by a bunch of really good players at it, the set it, championship? It was high. It was like yeah. 59% or something. Yeah, how about that? It's it's odd. You know, I really didn't think the deck would have a long-term future in Magic. Or... Well, you see, Brian, uh, probably a lot of people didn't test against it because they thought it was going to be bad, right? Ah, uh, right, right, right. That makes sense. Yeah. And once once the good players start playing against it, it, it won't mean anything. And then we'll finally... Oh, wait. The good players were in this tournament. Uh, there's some reason why it's not good. Don't worry. It'll it'll get sorted out. I thought you weren't the I told you so. I, I'm. This is a good faith argument. I don't know what you're talking about. This is just me watching a set championship and commenting on what I saw. Well, oh, no. I got it. I got it. Here's, here's a good argument. Is... People didn't actually care about the tournament. Ah, uh, well, that, I, is, that is often true. I saw, I saw like two people on Twitter saying that they didn't test at all. So, yeah, that's probably uh, why. That I think there was more than two people that felt that way. Uh, a lot of those people, though, who said they didn't test, just did play. Is it Epiphany and did pretty well? So I don't know. Yeah, weird. Anyway, uh, speaking of vanilla, uh, three mana, four threes that may or may not have text. Brian, I have a card for you. Okay, I'm excited to hear and I'm going to try card. and I'm going to try and explain to you what this card does because it seems like uh despite reading this card 10 times you still don't know what it does. I I do not know. 
Please, okay. please enlighten me. This this card is called Grizzled Huntmaster. It is one GG for a four three creature human warrior. You with me so far? Yes. Okay. When this thing enters the battlefield, you may exile a creature card from your hand. One creature card. Yes. Yes. Well, wait, hold on. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, if you do, search your hand and or search your hand right and library for any number of cards with the same name exile them then shuffle so you can exile more as long as they're the same right okay so i've, I've exiled four things now let's well, in this theoretical world yeah from different zones right yeah choose a creature card you own from outside the game conjure a duplicate of that card into your hand for each card exiled from your hand this way so uh you can exchange a creature in your hand from one in your sideboard. Why why did I mess with those creatures that were in my deck? Oh, because maybe one of them is like a core firewalker or something, and you're playing against blue-white control. So uh, in this scenario, I've main-decked a bunch of core firewalkers, now realized my horrible mistake, time to switch it up, get those out, Maybe, but I'm, but I'm only replacing that one that I exiled from my hand. However many you exiled in your hand. Right. So if I happen to have two of those cards, then you can I'm living getting... wish for two things. So like maybe you draw land war elves. Yeah. That you, you know, you're just like, oh, this is not going to do it, right? Yeah, it's late in the game now. I've got my three drop online. Yeah, I'm not sure how late in the game you had a land war elves and a grizzled hunt master. Don't worry Whatever. About it. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Who cares? Uh yeah, this is this uh so, what it's trying to do is make it so you can like thin those things out of your deck if they're bad but this card would be so much better and so much more easily grokkable if it was just like exile a creature get a creature from your sideboard the I, I will say just like for whatever reason talking through it out loud it now seems very simple to me however i've read this card so many times and i thought it did at least five different things throughout the path of me trying to understand it and Honestly, until this very moment, I was not 100% sure. I do now understand it. And like I said, having just gone through it line by line seems pretty simple. I don't think it's going to cause any real understanding problems, but look how much text we had to get through. Dude, this this is why keywords exist, you know? Yeah. And like, what did, what did you add to the game with this card? Like, how did the game become better? And... I, th I think if you're like, oh, you want to play best one in digital only... Like, here's this living wish thing and like building a deck with this for my article. It was actually kind of cool. I get it. But then they're also trying to mix in the like, oh, what if you draw your dead cards in a certain matchup in best of one? We're trying to fix that. And I think that just kind of like completely decimates the card. It just adds like four lines of text to it. Sometimes less is more. It, yeah. it really is, especially when it comes to magic. Like uh, if I go back to what drew me into magic, it's those resonant designs, the things that just were like simple expressions of clean ideas and nothing about Grizzled Huntmaster is clean or simple or really expresses any kind of idea. Like I don't get why this Grizzled Huntmaster is, is doing this stuff really. So yeah, like hunting your own creatures or it's something. A weird, it's know. a weird thing to do. Why would I summon this thing if it's just going to hunt my own creatures? And then he's got all these other creatures on retainer where he just like calls them up and he's like, oh, come back to my cabin. I have a bunch of creatures there for you. And I just don't want anything to do with this guy. He I seems got, like a creep. <laughs> I got four Lanor elves bodies for you. Now, you know, 
Avenger of Zendikar or whatever, come fight for me. Like, okay, sure, whatever, man. Yeah, I don't know what kind of market this creep is dealing in, but I, I just don't want anything to do with Grizzled Huntmaster. I've had enough. Anyway, this is a warrior, and uh, it's, a, it's a relevant party creature type, and there were not a lot of very good warriors in green and white. And then I got to start exploring like a, a party deck that, well, if, if you have this thing, you know, what would you wish for in your seven card sideboard? It was like kind of an interesting deck building experience. See, this is the thing that this goes back to like, this is a lesson that I learned. And unfortunately, I don't make the, the magic cards, so I'm not able to apply this lesson. But having an interesting puzzle in deck building is not worth severe constraints or severe wordiness or dramatically warping the power level around that really interesting deck building. Because if you go back to Companion, that was a lot of really interesting deck building we did during the Ikoria preview season. And then it very quickly became, I hate this question and I figured out how to answer it already. So this is never going to offer me anything again. And it has now warped the game. And this doesn't have obviously that kind of dramatic effect, but it's a laughably complicated card that has now become a bit of a meme. And despite having this interesting question tied to it, I don't think you got the return for this just kind of being laughed out of the room. Yeah, I, I wish it didn't have the like cranial extraction yourself. And then if it was just like, you know, discard a creature, or get a creature from your sideboard, boom. Like cool. simple design, easy, cool. Less is more. Yeah. And also then that could have just been a paper card. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, whatever. Whatever, indeed. Anyway, we have a we have a top 10. That's our uh, 63 cards in the set, right? That's number 63. Dishonorable mention for Grizzled Hunt Master. Wait, not, not on, is it 68? I thought it was, they said 63 last week, right? I don't know. Mythic Spoiler says there's 60. Oh, they're listing the the changed cards. Okay. Also, I don't I don't know. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if it changed because I I'm 99% sure that either someone said or it's written somewhere that every single card in this set was supposed to be a rare or a mythic. And there's just eleven uncommons, ten uncommons. 11 uncommons that exist in the set now. Uh, great. And some of them are pretty good. So I, I like that. It's, it's a nice tip of the cap to the wild cards, but that was not what was announced, I'm pretty sure. Or I'm confused. I'm pretty sure, too. I mean, it's, it's been a long week, so whatever. Yeah, and a lot, of, a lot of confusing details that I could certainly get wrong. So Anyway, we have a top 10 list. Uh, haven't done a ton of playing with this yet uh was watching a lot of streams and like bouncing around to different people's streams to see what they were playing just to kind of i don't know check my work for the stuff that i i did in my article and it looked like a lot of the stuff that i thought was like fun and wanted to build around was also pretty good uh so that was good to see and then there was some other stuff where it was like i didn't really know where to fit this into a deck and uh, some other people who cracked the code. So that was cool, too. Yeah. And I, I also like that we lined up on a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of the cards we were interested in, it seemed like we were both interested in. And we basically had no dispute over our number one card. We both slotted it in there right away. So uh, that's it's good to see. Yeah. Dope as hell card, by the way. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> number 10, a card that we have not cracked the code on, but you can kind of read over this once and think about maybe how it could potentially be busted. So this is Oglor, Devoted Assistant, which is 1U for a 1-1 one, one 
legendary creature homunculus at the beginning of your upkeep look at the top two cards of your library then put one of them in your graveyard and whenever a creature card is put into your graveyard from your library or hand it perpetually gains when this card leaves your graveyard create a tapped 2-2 black zombie creature token yeah i don't i don't think i'm blowing anyone's mind by telling you what i want to do with this card i just like want to mill myself then i i don't know relic of progenitus type stuff to exile my whole graveyard in one shot and attack with a huge amount of zombies like it's a combo kill type setup uh that is functional on its face i wouldn't say it's a good card on its face but a little bit of card selection is nice uh the ability of the creatures in your graveyard to persist uh to as we say now perpetually have the ability uh to make these two twos it's cool it's a cool piece of combo setup it makes it a little bit more reliable have not crack the code yet i think maybe this one deserves a bigger look in historic than it does in the standard space just because of the tools that are available there you do have like relic of progenitus for these one-shot kills out of nowhere scavenging ooze even like scavenging ooze sounds great you know you have your uh very very robust suite of self-mill options in that format so I want to look at it there, but in terms of just like raw potential, you see it in this card, even if you don't have a deck list put together yet. So I'm going to work on it in standard. I suspect, uh, excuse me, I'm going to work on it in alchemy. I suspect it's not there yet. And I think there's a good chance it will never get there. But in terms of just raw output, this is probably the biggest potential home run in the set, I would say. Uh, you could do stuff like Ox of Agonis too. Sure. There's, there's a lot of ways to move cards out of your graveyard. I, I initially thought of Croxa and then was like, well, that's kind of a stretch. And Ox, like this thing fills your graveyard. And I don't know, maybe you have some Arclight Phoenix or Mana Gorger Phoenix type stuff. Or just yeah. like you're doing like maybe some madnessy things. You have like Root Wallows, just like random creatures, right? That you can uh, exile with Ox and just make like 10 power pretty easily. Maybe maybe closer to 20 power who knows yeah it's possible this doesn't have to be like an, an otk type situation where you just set up a huge battlefield of zombies it maybe there's just enough value here to play right. algalore as like a a little bit of a mill engine so worth exploring for sure number nine have a card called divine purge which is one dub dub sorcery exile all artifacts and creatures with mana value three or less they perpetually gain this spell, cost two more to cast, and this permanent enters the battlefield tapped for as long as each of them remains exiled, its owner may play. And we had a pretty, eh, I, w- I wouldn't say it was like a lengthy discussion. A lot of it was just like, oh, because of this, and we agreed or whatever, you know. But it, we, we had to talk about how this set actually impacts standard or, you know, standard changes into alchemy or however you want to look at it and so many of these cards are like you know crafting random cards giving you sources of card advantage whatever and it makes the game more similar to hearthstone and a lot of the the tcgs in that space where or i guess ccgs whatever where you you just they they didn't want you to run out of gas really and so they gave you a lot of stuff to do with your mana up until like turn 10, turn 12. And that's kind of what a lot of these cards are doing too. So uh, 
I don't know, there's there's like a two mana one two that gives you like a random piece of cardboard or whatever. And it's like, is that good? And the answer is like, kind of, yeah, you just don't run out of stuff to do. So then like this as a sweeper is not good because it means that you're making it so your opponent never runs out of stuff to do. But they're probably in that situation anyway, if you're in the alchemy cube, which is kind of where you need to be in order to cast this card. Right. So how does that actually impact things? Yeah, and it also plays well with the idea that you're going to be doing the same type of stuff where eventually you're just going to amass this accumulation of resources and spew them onto the battlefield. And, you know, some of my first stuff I've worked on has been like Omnath, Storm the Festival things. And I think everyone's got an eye on that archetype for sure. But that's a very illustrative thing of what potentially you are trying to achieve in this alchemy format. Just spew a bunch of things onto the table. And in that scenario, you don't need hard sweeper you need time and divine purge does a great job of going wider than almost any three mana sweeper can potentially do right like you you are getting to uh the old growth trolls in the format the bodies that are usually too big to be vulnerable to a three mana sweeper you know we usually see adeline too yeah adeline's a good example we usually see infest variants at three mana uh sometimes we see three damage stuff from red that does as broad a sweeper as possible but this is hitting some very very key three mana four toughness creatures i think it's important for that role hitting artifacts isn't irrelevant there's there's clue tokens and there's blood tokens and getting both of those can matter a bunch i think there's some cards actually in this set that play really well with blood tokens that we're going to talk about and so i could see that becoming an important part of the equation as well for divine purge so not a world beater here and it's interesting that there's multiple sweepers in this set there's begin anew in uh selesnia there is a red sweeper this is the one though that kind of sparks my interest the most in terms of what it's capable of and how it changes the format uh those those sweepers are kind of redundant with other options that already exist this one's unique though right and the thing with this card is a thing that we're gonna have to look at with a bunch of these cards where it's just like well where does this fit it doesn't go into any existing decks and i think you need to realize that the format's going to look very different than yes. standard. And this is not a big card pool, uh, but even something as simple as like adding two alchemy cards to an already existing deck uh, probably means that they have like so much more card advantage. And they're also just going to be playing like a bunch of random ass cards that they get from draft spell books and stuff like that, where yeah, they're just not going to run out of gas and they're going to like look and function very differently than the standard variant. would. So you're going to have to probably build a new deck to incorporate this card. But I think that we have the tools to do that. You just need to find a thing that is like go big, kind of go over the top of your opponent. You mentioned like Storm the Festival stuff, which wasn't super successful before, but I think that there are a lot of cards in this small set that give it a chance to do that. Plus, again, with the nerfs from everything else, it's like playing Storm of the Festival into an Alrin's Epiphany metagame doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But right. when you're trying to like basically just be the the best mid-range deck or the best like go over the top of you deck, then that might be the thing to be doing. Absolutely. So many of the cards we're going to talk about here just deal in raw cardboard. Like that's just going to be a recurring theme throughout this list. And this seems like the perfect sweeper for that scenario. Number eight, Cursebound Witch, B, one, two, Creature, Human, Warlock. There are not a lot of wizards for Party Man. No. This is no, a Warlock. Definitely the squeeze. There were a lot of things, too, that were that were just 
warlocks instead of wizards. I was so mad. Uh, Catilda was one. It was a warlock. Are you mm. kidding me? Anyway, uh, when Cursebound Witch dies, draft a card from this thing's spell book. And uh, how many cards is this? Are they all like 15 or something? I, I believe they're all 15. I don't, please don't quote me on that. Don't quote me on actually anything I say in this episode. It could all be wrong. I am willing to live with that consequence. Um, but I, I do think it's 15 cards for every draft set. And then you get revealed three of them, correct? Yeah. And you, you choose one. one of those three. And I don't think we have to hit like every option that's in all of these spell books, but there's good stuff in Cursebound Witch's spell book to the point where I think it's comparable to iTwitch uh, and in some cases will exceed it. There's some there's some variance here to be sure. Like you could get a, a real dumpster draft and get blown up, but you could play this late game and end up with a cruel reality. And that's a ridiculous swing or you can play an early game and set up cauldron familiar witches oven in your standard deck which we all know how that goes i mean so, if you get if you get super lucky and hit each one you know yeah you, no question you have to get super lucky i will point out though that these are real cards you get so cauldron familiar will do the graveyard stuff it's not a cauldron familiar token it's right. a real cauldron familiar card that matters a bunch and there's also like scenarios too when you're doing eye twitch stuff or maybe you don't want to give up your sideboard for the lesson cards or you just need redundancy. And there have been black decks I have worked on where if I could play a full 12 one drops just to make sure I always, always, always have my, uh, you know, draw two effects online, I would probably do so. And I think Chris Boundwich is going to be a really good player in that space. Yeah, I think the selection... From iTwitch, the fact that you get a choice, the fact that even if those cards are bad or you run out of them, you get to rummage. I think that all of that stuff is a little bit better. And 1-1 one, one Flyer is probably a little bit better than a 1-2 on the ground. But yep. saving your sideboard slots, even if it's just like three sideboard slots, is huge. And I'm a big proponent of that. And I mean, if, if you're playing in best of one, it probably doesn't matter all that much. But right. for for best of three, I can I can see it. I'm coming around to it. Because iTwitch was mostly just get a piece of random cardboard. And this is kind of doing the same thing. And sometimes yeah. it's a, like a, a really good piece of cardboard. Can be. Uh, number seven, Angel of Unity. One dub, one three, creature, angel, cleric, flying lifelink. Whenever this enters the battlefield or you cast a party spell, choose a party creature in your hand. It perpetually gets plus one, plus one. A uh, party card or spell is a cleric, rogue, warrior or wizard so just i don't know funny wording like choose a party creature in your hand uh what is your favorite party creature gerald uh there's a new one that's really good and i don't know so my deck was like jasper sentinel uh archpriest of iona this this two drop rogue that gives all your things in play die make a clue uh, had some other twos. Had elite spellbinder. Had grizzled huntmaster, and then like squad commando Tazri portable hole. That was basically my deck. Okay, uh, my favorite oh, this, party this creature angel. is this angel is a two drop. Yeah. Yep, my favorite party creature is Slurms McKenzie. I don't know what that means. Okay, that's fine. I know you don't. Somebody out there gets it. I hope. Okay. Angel, Angel's pretty good. Uh, it means that instead of playing like the best things at rate on each part of the, your curve, you get a reason for actually trying to build around the party mechanic. And party has had some payoffs, but clearly they have 
proven to be not all that spectacular, but this this card just means that all of your things are basically going to get plus one, plus one, or uh, you could just build a really big something, potentially. Yeah, I, I think this is just what party needed. It, like you said, you're playing creatures that are just worse than the things that aren't reliant on party whatsoever, but there weren't enough payoffs to really push you over the power edge you needed. So I, I'm i still skeptical about party. I, I sort of always have been. It's, it's Like I said, it's it, you haven't changed the paradigm where there exist all these really powerful things that you could just do instead, but we're bringing them closer now. We've certainly nerfed some of those outliers. So, you know, Luminarch Aspirant comes to mind, which interestingly fits in <laughs> It was a party well. card, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, still, you get the point where you just didn't have to work that hard. You just had all these powerful creatures anyway. So Angel of Unity at least gives you a reason to explore the party archetype again, and I am excited for that. Number six, Sanguine Brushstroke, 1BB Enchantment. When this enters the battlefield, create a blood token and conjure a card named Blood Artist onto the battlefield whenever you sacrifice a blood token. Each opponent loses one and you gain one. I like this card a lot. I, I think it has the potential to be very good. And the cardboard output thing sort of kicked into overdrive with this card, right? You get the Sanguine Brushstroke itself, which is an enchantment that remains on the battlefield. You get a blood token and you get a blood artist. Again, a real blood artist card. So if it dies and you want to reanimate it, you have access to that. You can do it. You know, things like Agadim's Awakening are going to bring back that blood artist. And that's important for archetypes like this. So just raw cardboard, this card is off the charts. But I'm really excited about this because I actually uh, found an archetype somebody played in the Red Bull Untapped event this past weekend. And this is an actual standard, obviously. But it was sort of like red-black tokens built around uh, the... Oh man, I forget the first name on the card. Something Uprising Stensia. from... Stetsia Uprising, which is a sort of bitter blossom equivalent, but you can sacrifice it if you control exactly 13 permanents to seven your opponent. And it also used a lot of the blood creatures to get up to that threshold of having enough permanents. And so it instilled all this reach and it just produced this huge amount of blood tokens. And now those blood tokens are going to be part of your drain game. Plus, you have all these bodies floating around to sacrifice, you know, the humans that are being routinely made by these enchantments, which are triggering your blood artist and all of that stuff mushed together is an exciting archetype that couldn't exist under Epiphany. It would just get completely outscaled. But if the games are smaller, I really like the potential some kind of setup like that has. And uh, it's, it's on the very top of my list of things to explore. So expect to see deck lists uh, in that vein from me very soon. Yeah, I could see it. Uh, it's it's weird. Like, I, I get that the card, like, makes a blood artist and a blood token, but the blood artist doesn't, like, do anything with the blood tokens, you know? Uh, it has the name blood on it. I know, but I'm saying, like, you know, the sanguine brushstroke is the thing, like, dinging them when the blood token dies, right? Not the blood artist. That is true. You know, it just it doesn't make any sense. Whatever. Yeah, I, I think that... Those sorts of setups are generally pretty good against creature decks where, you know, you just kind of like turtle up behind some pretty mediocre creatures, gain some card yep. advantage, kill kill their stuff that matters. And then uh, with this setup, at least you can just like eventually fireball your opponent out, which is cool. I'm definitely in multiple ways, too. I yeah, mean, that, that's that's that kind of flexibility is a big deal. Yeah. I remember when we were building like the plum, the forbidden decks and it was just like, oh, we need a way 
like we can draw cards all day, right? We just need a thing that can like burn our opponents out. And we tried yeah. whatever the crappy three man enchantment was, Bastion of Remembrance. That is correct. Yeah, made a human and then was a blood artist. Uh, and it was just like so slow and so bad. And this is like such a better version of that. And you have the uh, Stency Uprising, which is a thing that like makes tokens and is a finisher. So this this actually seems like it has potential. I'm down with that. Yeah, and don't sleep on the card selection from Blood Tokens either. It's just consistently doing your thing is going to be worth a lot as well. So looking forward to building this deck for sure. Fearsome Whelp, number five. Scroll in to find our little dragon friend. 1R, 1-1, creature dragon flying. At the beginning of your end step, each dragon card in your hand perpetually gains. This spell costs one less to cast. Watching a lot of streams today, I saw a lot of people messing around with dragons it seemed like they were loving it i understand why I, I think the output on this card is surprisingly huge and it's very easy to see scenarios where this dies and still nets you two mana and you think about your accelerant doing that that's that's sort of cracked and obviously it's potential output can go way higher than that it can bring multiple multiple dragons down to a castable level the curve works really well there's a four drop dragon in this set in town razor tyrant which i think is pretty good it's kind of just pure damage a little bit of utility but fills out your curve really nicely we have moonvale region out there as another four mana dragon of course we still have gold span at five uh six mana is the big legendary dragon so a lot of options going all the way up the curve. And if this thing stays on the battlefield for a couple turns, your hand just got real cheap and it's redundant too, because there's other ways to accelerate in the dragon tribe where it's starting to feel like a real archetype distinct from just, oh, these dragons are good cards. Let me just play them alongside Aldrin's Epiphany. Yeah. Uh, Orb of Dragonkind is completely solid and might not have been worth playing when it was just like, oh, I kind of, I hope that I draw this thing because I have no other way to accelerate. Well, now you have two different two mana things that can accelerate. And you have Moonvale region, like you noted, and the other dragon in this set. Uh, so now you have like consistent turn two, consistent turn three dragon. Your dragon's fires are presumably going to be awesome. You have always on, yeah. The, the three mana red sweeper, if you want that. Maybe that just lives in your sideboard, whatever. But uh, Town Razor Tyrants on turn three especially if you're on the play, like they're not going to be able to sacrifice their lands. So you're nope. right. It's, it is just going to deal a bunch of damage, even if this thing gets removed. So you're still getting like a lot of value out of that. Uh, Chandra dressed to kill also look pretty nice in this deck. Yeah. These creatures do a lot of things where they just like, they, they matter even if they die. And those kind of scenarios are really, really clutch in the current world of magic. You, it sort of flies in the face of what the rest of the set is doing. Like they're not as card advantage heavy, but there's got to be a way to punish that. Right. And I, I think having this kind of pure mana acceleration into just big beaters is a really nice way to keep that in check. And I have a feeling a lot of decks are going to play very soft to these dragon setups in the early days of this format. I believe that too. Uh, number four, Rahilda wanted cutthroat one R two, two legendary creature, human werewolf first strike. When this deals combat damage to a player, exile a non-land card from their library at random. During any turn you attacked with a wolf or werewolf, you may cast that card and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast that spell. It has daybound and a backside. Uh, backside is 2-2 uh, double strike and maybe the same ability? Yeah, it looks like the same ability. Yeah, but it's interesting in that the double strike... Hits you him hit, twice. 
Yeah. Hits them twice. Yeah. So you'll get two cards from your opponent's deck. I I think this is maybe the last piece. Well, there's two, there's two pieces here. The werewolf decks really just didn't justify themselves when there was mono green, mono white, and for multiple reasons that had to do with the broader context of the format. But they were so, so close. They really only needed one little push. And I could see Rahilda being that push. It plays so well with the tribal synergies. It is going to take advantage of anything you're doing that is like wolf power and toughness based. So things like Torvald pumping them up will matter a bunch. Uh, getting extra draws will matter a bunch. All of these things are just really, really tight with those werewolf synergies. And I have to mention another card, which is it's, it seems kind of lame. Tenacious Pup is out there, though. It's another card in this set that's G creature wolf when tenacious pump enters the battlefield you gain one life when you cast your next creature spell that creature enters the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter trample counter and vigilance counter on it so you drop that counter onto so many of the werewolves but in particular rahilda that's going to play really well as the game goes on and then you have this vigilant trampling double striking thing when you finally do your transformation that seems really, really strong for me. And a reason to justify the werewolf tribe being something separate from just good green cards, good red cards, mush them together, see what happens. Uh, I like Blood Rage Alpha a lot too. Blood Rage Alpha also seems strong. You want to read that one? Yeah, 3R, 4, 3, Wolf. When this enters the battlefield, choose one. Another target wolf or werewolf you control fights a, another target creature. Wait. Another target wolf or werewolf you control fights target creature you don't control. Uh, second one is when you cast your next wolf or werewolf spell, it gains when this creature enters the battlefield, fights up to one target creature. You don't control. So either you fight with something immediately, or maybe you don't have anything on the battlefield, or you have just small stuff on the battlefield, but a big thing in your hand, you can set up the fight for next turn. Yeah, and this plays really well, obviously, with the werewolf decks that look to go very high up the curve use some of the mana generating stuff that the werewolf tribe can do so not only do i think werewolves sort of got unlocked i think they got unlocked at multiple sizes too which is pretty exciting well uh, let's let's talk about the sizing thing because so like angel of unity for example right where you get to give something in your hand plus one plus one presumably a lot right you're playing a bunch of party stuff yep. or even like tenacious pop setting up for uh, three three Rahilda or a four four Werewolf Pack Leader or something, like how how much impact does that actually have? Because I I think it's pretty huge. I I think so too. I I mean certainly you can react to things like that and it changes the cards that matter. Again, we can go back to Divine Purge at the start of this list and why like being able to just exile based on mana value is becoming more important rather than relying on sweepers to do so because it's your your damage based removal isn't going to have the same level of consistency like previously you go okay i have dragon's fire in my deck so they play goldspan dragon and i'm going to dragon's fire it i know that it's going to happen every single time this comes up but that's gotten less certain with a lot of these effects that we have present and you can't really rely on damage based removal the same way you could previously so i think all the non damage based removal certainly goes up a notch for me and this effect is sure to be impactful and just just change a bunch of matchups i think yeah, I think it's, you know, night and day completely when you get to play like a 4-4 against the Adeline deck instead of a 3-3, right? It's just so much different. Yeah, breakpoints mean so much less now. And if you can play around them, you, you'll be advantaged for it. And how brutal old growth troll is as a 4-4 when now maybe it's just getting outclassed by some stuff.
it's possible or maybe it's getting larger itself and now is battling as a five five and now your dragon's fire doesn't work anymore yeah all these things are possible uh number three clone crafter one you one two when this enters the battlefield conjure a duplicate of a random creature card from your opponent's library into your hand it perpetually gains you may spend mana as though or mana of any color to cast a spell man hearthstone does this so much better right where it's just like get a random creature from your opponent's deck yeah go to town (laughs) it's just like the text is so much simpler but anyway uh two mana one two draws you a random piece of cardboard how good is that what sort of deck does this fit into uh i I think it's pretty easy to look at this just like an elvish visionary but it's a lot better than that i think super powered elvish visionary my first sort of home for this card was more sideboard based i could see a bunch of matchups where like just sheer quantity of say gold span dragons in the is it dragon's mirror could matter a bunch uh or just spots where like your opponent only has a few key threats you know something like hullbreaker horror comes to mind and you just always have a hullbreaker horror that sounds really good in some scenarios but i sort of think it's better than that because you you don't actually remove the card from your opponent's deck so you can just use this to generate tons of value if that's the setup you want to do and just get loaded up with cards in hand and like you mentioned like blinking an elvish visionary is pretty good you don't really mind doing that but blinking a card that just always 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 gets a threat that becomes a very different scenario very quickly so i i like recursive setups with this i like just sideboard value setups i i'm a little concerned that there isn't a deck that wants this right now but like we said we have to work around that these cards are powerful enough to justify creating new archetypes creating new decks i think clone crafter can certainly do that i think you just put it into decks i think that's just how simple it is like just let it exist yeah i mean if if you are a deck that wants a two drop this is a very very fine two drop because either you're yeah like you said you know your opponent's playing like light on creatures where their creatures are very impactful i mean sometimes maybe you're playing this in a creature deck and you get a smoldering egg or something and it's like well what the hell am i doing with this um but a lot of the time it's like well you're just getting like a three mana three three or something and then that means that that also like helps fill out your mana curve gives you an extra piece of cardboard there are some potential ways to like discard for value there are ways to blink things for value like there's just a lot of ways to actually utilize this and getting an extra card that I think just gets undervalued. Again, pure cardboard, good cardboard. Uh, I wouldn't sleep on that. Number two, Inquisitor Captain. This was uh, the reason I built a party deck and this card is so much better than just going in a party deck. It's This card goes everywhere. This is three dub for a three, three human cleric vigilance. When this enters the battlefield, If there are 20 or more creature cards with mana value three or less among cards in your graveyard hand and library, seek two creature cards with mana value three or less, put one onto the battlefield, shuffle the other into your library. So this is collected company that never misses, always gets a 3-3 vigilance. Uh, All it asks you to do is basically have 20 or more creatures uh, with mana value three or less in your starting deck. Obviously, like, it doesn't count exile, so maybe you could run afoul of like some graveyard hate, and this thing would not trigger at some point in the game or whatever. But for the most part, like that's all it really asks of you, and that's that's pretty small. So between this and Clone Crafter, like uh, stuff like Teleportation Circle doesn't seem that outlandish to me, and 
they just outvalue you. That's all they do. They just (laughs) eventually like they use their crappy bodies to trade off with yours and will eventually swarm you with one, twos and three threes. Every card is worth two in alchemy. That's that's really the alchemist trick here is you just make something out of nothing over and over. That's not how alchemy works, man. It's supposed to be equivalent exchange. Nope. Now we just make stuff. It, uh, it all comes from somewhere. We'll we'll sort it out on the back end to give up an arm and a leg and you end up with all the stuff you need. So uh, I think you did a great job explaining Inquisitor Captain. I was lower on this card than you, but as soon as you put it into appropriate context, I came around. I think also the types on this card are really impactful, particularly clerics. Clerics are really close and there's good clerics in this set. If you work out that puzzle, and, and again, clerics are close in a way where they could have never competed under Alrin's Epiphany because they just got outscaled. They were like a, a value type deck. I, I've even had good Pyre of Heroes clerics deck, which which I believe in. They were good enough, if not for this thing that loomed over the format. Now, there'll be a new thing that looms over the format, a new way to go large, but it's possible you'll be able to interact with it and play through it, especially when you're generating so much value from cards like Inquisitor Captain. So all of the setup this card asks you to do, it's not that much. It's very easy to just play this card and be happy with it and then get to town blinking it or, you know, whatever kind of tricks you want to get up to, this is going to pay you over and over and over. And I expect this will be a very impactful card. Think about the removal that's tied to this card. Like we have both Skyclave Apparition and Brutal Cathar available in these decks. And if that doesn't matter, I will be extremely shocked. This card should should spawn archetypes. It should go in a bunch of archetypes. Should be very strong. The thing with the Clerics deck too is... It played a bunch of crappy creatures that just eventually, like, they never ran out of gas, right? So they just eventually swarmed you with the nonsense that they had. And that was the selling point for clerics. And now all the decks basically get to do that. Yeah. So who does it better becomes the question. That is the question. I do think that it starts with Inquisitor Captain. That seems pretty obvious to me because this is just like one of the biggest rate cards that you could ask for in this set. Like, it's so good. For example, that I think that this could replace or even just like add to Collected Company in the Historic Humans deck. Interesting. So just having the humans type on it and I mean, it's it's a big difference not to play at instant speed, though. Don't you think that's a lot of the appeal of Collected Company in that deck? Yes and no, because you're also not getting affected by like your own Thalia, for example. You also get to be... That's true. You get to be monocolor or perhaps... Have Thalia in this format, by the way. So there you go. That's Uh, a good selling point. You get to be monocolor. You could play Faceless Haven, which admittedly is only a 3-3 now in Historic. Um, But you could also just like play a different splash color if you wanted to. Like if you wanted to play General Kudro and then maybe play some thought seasons alongside your Thalia's or whatever. You could do that. You could have, you know, fatal push type stuff, whatever you want to do. Interesting. And like, like you said, one of the biggest things is getting access to these spells. You don't have to have that ridiculous creature count just to still miss anyway and hate your life with collected company. Now you, you get a little bit more certainty. I, I don't know how many creatures are you going to put in your deck so You don't run afoul of the exiling thing. Cause exile based removal can hit you up too. Yeah, you get like flame bless bolted or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so you want at least 20 plus four of these, right? And then maybe you want like a couple extra and then you play like 24 land or something. It still gives you like a lot of spell slots to work with if you wanted to do that. Yeah. And I think for the most part, these decks are still going to want to play a very healthy mana curve. So they're still probably going to play 
you know, more than just the base 22 or whatever. But, yeah. you know, if, if you wanted to, for example, maximize your chances of hitting only Skyclave Apparition or Brutal Cathar alongside of this, you could try and work towards doing that too. Yeah, the threes are so good in particular. It makes a card like this shine even more when there's a reason to really stack your deck up with threes. Yeah. So I don't know, man. This this card is just good. I think it's going to show up in a lot of spots. It's definitely going to influence how people build their decks and what types of decks that they're building. And I think a lot of alchemy is going to be like, okay, well, how do we build, like, how do we beat Inquisitor Captain Piles where they're just, you know, card advantage based around this card? Mm-hmm. Number one card. Uh, I, I, like, read this card and then was like, okay, I could see how it's, like, pretty decent maybe and then you get to the the spell book on this thing and things just go crazy dear lord uh key to the archive four mana artifact this enters the battlefield tapped when this enters the battlefield draft a card from key to the archive spell book then discard a card and you can tap to add two mana in any combination of colors and this is the spell book that i'm actually going to read go for it approach the second sun can't believe that's there keep going it again like creates like a physical card so this does get shuffled into your library whatever also the thing curves pretty well into approach uh day of judgment pretty solid time warp pretty busted when you're accelerating doing some wild stuff uh counterspell demonic tutor doom blade lightning bolt uh regrowth despark electrolyze grow spiral lightning helix putrefy and then uh, Cross and Grip and Claim the Firstborn. And I think, I think honestly, like the worst pile you can get is like Cross and Grip, Claim the Firstborn, and Grow Spiral. And then you still just like pick Grow Spiral and be happy with it. Uh, but also, even if like it gives you three like spot removal cards against a creatureless control deck, you can just discard that card to the thing. You can. Always an option, and you, you're jumping very, very high up the curve and the fact that there's just a game winning option like curving into approach of the second sun is going to end most games i think you have to be in a pretty bad spot for it not to work but i i played this card a bit today it was one of the few cards i got games in with there were no bad outcomes i was just no. always happy with what this did and like i i got a lightning helix in a really key spot that was great uh i had a d spark which was relevant like <laughs> you almost always get something that's going to do the job for you. And the fact that it's tied to something that's letting you go from four to seven and fixing your mana is unlocking a lot of the stuff that we've talked about. Things like Storm the Festival Endgames, things like Omnath, which I'm not quite convinced that new Omnath is all that playable. I, I think there is a problem with the card and a problem with just like having enough raw cardboard to make it work without the draw trigger um it's it's more the absence of the draw trigger than the increased mana i think you could live with the increased mana but missing the draw trigger is a little much i would honestly be fine if omnath was just five mana and was the same like yeah and i mean like fine where it's like oh this card is probably still busted so i'm like maybe i'm not fine with it but you know no i i think they did the right thing by going harder on it and that may limit the card but regardless it, there's plenty of end games to go to with key to the archive and it's just going to do such a good job getting you to those mana thresholds and stabilizing so many of these cards are good at stabilizing day of judgment the removal spells it just gets you to a safe place where you're able to do that really big end game thing i 
feel like this is the card that should shape the format the most going forward coming out of this alchemy set. All the spell books are just like, here's a ham sandwich. And then I looked at this one and I just started laughing, dude. I was like, this is yeah, awesome. Turned it up for this spell book for sure. Yeah. And and this is a card where it's like, oh, like explosive vegetation, like, you know, double mana rock kind of thing. Like those historically have been like very playable, right? Yep. And then it also just gives you access to like a busted spell book. And then uh, discard outlet. I mean, that's kind of thin, but yeah, matter. Uh, you have you have Teferi who slows the sunset, which is pretty nice with this card. Also, you're like yeah. ramping into a Hallbreaker horror potentially. I was just like, yeah, this card, this card is dope as hell. This is going to be like maybe the most played card in the set. That's my guess as well. I think the card is excellent. I think it's pretty fun. I hate that they included approach of the second sun because that feels like the lottery and any like. You know, we talk about opening up space for mid-range. Any mid-range deck that is against like key to the archive deck that spikes approach of the second sun, probably a wrap. Like there's not really a whole bunch you're going to be able to do through that. Just grizzled um, huntmaster for a masked vandal and blow, wow. blow you up, already figured it out. Blow up their artifact. There you go. And then we, they can never cast that's it. why Grizzled Huntmaster was in the set. There was a reason all along you figured it out. Clearly. Grizzled Huntmaster controlling key to the archive. You heard it here first. Mass Vandal, best wizard in, in the party archetype. Uh Tajuru Preserver might be slightly better, I suppose. But yeah, tough times for the wizards out there. I know, man. In more ways than one. Yeah. But yeah, I I think key to the archive is super fun, super cool. And this is the type of thing that you need in a set like this. I was expecting more stuff like this, honestly, but the stuff that we got also seems pretty fine. It just doesn't like read as exciting. Yeah, I would say some growing pains with the whole idea, the execution of what's going on here. But the end result is something that I'm pretty into. I'm I'm excited to spend some time building decks. We'll see how the gameplay goes. That's something you can't really get a sense of until you're in it. I think a lot of that is going to depend on the polls of the format. I am curious, like what kind of limitations these dragons decks set on people, uh, how good like the werewolf beatdown stuff is on the low end, how good just things like mono green picking up one or two cards or mono white picking up one or two cards. You know, those those have to be sussed out a little bit. And once we've identified those polls, we'll see what's going on in the middle space, which is where I think the game of magic really like lives and dies if if the middle games are on point and you have tension and you know i i'm a little concerned about the resource thing i think running out of resources in a game of magic is good and this set seems to be designed entirely in opposition to that principle i get it i understand that like people don't like you know missing their land drops and not casting spells and that's something that magic has fought against for a long time, but has held steadfastly on and correctly so that it's the thing that makes the game great. And you always want to play with it a little bit. You want to move the needle left and right and see where you can find a sweet spot for people to feel like they have agency, but also not just let play skill dictate every game. We'll see how alchemy uh, fares on that scale. I want the games to be moving towards a conclusion, which this set kind of fights against and i also want the draw steps to be dynamic and just matter mm -hmm. and when you already have a bunch of resources it matters less and less so that's true i think those are two big things that this might miss on and i certainly don't want there to be like you know 30 minute game ones or whatever yep 
Oh, we're going to see. We're going to see what this offers. And, you know, we talk about the need for games to end, but in a fashion that makes sense where they come to logical conclusions. We hated Epiphany for that reason. It didn't feel like it made sense. Yeah, a logical conclusion is what I'm in favor of. Definitely. Yep. Not not Epiphany, not Approach. Yep. Where do you see Hullbreaker Horror in this format? I mean, it's kind of like, you know, we did a whole show saying it was the only thing that matters. I think we overstated it, but... There, there was something there. There, there was a principle there that, like, this was the next thing up, and I, we just overstated how much it was able to directly influence the Epiphany matchups. I think. Um, I think. But if not I for think Epiphany, it did matter. It would have been the most important card. It did matter, and it certainly like influenced where the format went and how people built their decks and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It just didn't take over. I think it did. It was probably like the week before the PT, though. Okay, maybe maybe that's fair. But like, did you actually take over if you then seed control very quickly after that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay. like, just a, a brief coup, <laughs> just a, a little, a little extra coup, a little in- insurgency, real quick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think it matters. Like, there has to be a thing that like warps the format that then dictates how people have to like alter their decks and game plans and whatnot in order to get the format to shift. I think that that's mostly just a constant, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that that sort of effect, if given enough time is exactly the type of thing that can beat. Well, my opponent has, you know, infinite three mana, three threes or whatever, right? Like they, they just have like all this gas and does it matter? Well, it's like whole brick or horror is the kind of thing that, that can actually beat that. And like, storm the festival into uh, a bunch of omnaths and felidar retreats and key to the archives and stuff like these things that like go big and go over the top like those things do matter so i think that hallbreaker horror could matter but it is also like a pretty slow ponderous card and if you can't uh do enough like divine purges or shadows verdict type of things to like buy you time you could just yeah. get run over i think that's yeah. perfectly possible too be interesting to see. I'm looking forward to getting in the queues, which is all I can ask for. I'm, I'm happy to have a reason to play some games of magic. I'm pretty sure that I am going to sit this one out. Just no queues. That's it. You're done. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to like watch streams and uh, keep up on the format and everything, but I don't think that this deserves my wild cards. I just, wow. I'm just going to opt out. We'll see, uh, you know, maybe a, a deck shows up where I'm like, Oh, I just have to play this. Right. Um, but I am not getting a sense of like, oh, this is like so much better to be doing than standard or modern or whatever. Fair. It's like I can, Fair. if I want to play Magic, I can just hang out in the places that I normally do. And obviously there's going to be uh, another iteration of this with the next set, but then we're also just going to have like a next set for standard. So right. I don't know. Like it's going to take a lot to pull me in if it's like not necessary that I physically play myself. but. I'm certainly going to keep up for content and everything. Well, I, I hope that I feel strongly enough about it that I come back next week and try and make a case to drag you in. That, that's my sincere wish. It's like I, I want to feel that strongly about it that uh, if you ever, it's, it becomes can't miss. If you ever feel like you're going to play like for two or three hours, let me know and, and I'll bird, you know, two to three hours. I mean, I'm, I'm an old man, Gerald. I don't have that kind of stamina in me anymore. Like I can, I can get a toilet game in here, maybe like a bedtime game in there, but a two or three hour session is that's intense. 
Okay, well, I don't think it's really worth either of our time for you to like call me into bird the one game of magic you're going to play, you know? Call you, call you into the toilet with me while yeah. I'm playing that one game? Okay, I, I will not do that if that's not what you're interested in. I don't know. I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes, I guess. I, okay. I would hope that you play non-toilet games of magic, but who knows? From time to time, I, I dabble. Uh, game. Good luck.